And uh, you can go ahead and locate Matthew's gospel, and I'll also be reading from Luke here in just a moment. We're going to wrap up the series we started a number of weeks ago, which we entitled Understanding How the System or how, Understanding How the Kingdom Works. And we could spend a lot of time, in fact, probably countless weeks, talking about forgotten foundations and other areas of importance in God's word that help us have greater insight as to how the things of the kingdom operate in our life. And uh, while I could do that, I just feel like there are other things we need to go ahead and explore. But how many of you know we got an owner's manual? And that's why it was put into your hands in order that you can read it all through the week and that uh, you could find out all those keys that you need to implement in your life in order that you might see it work the way God intended for it to work. And you'll just recall as we wrap it up, I'll just say it one more time. All of us have met people and there have probably been times in our own life where we've either thought it, heard it, said it ourselves. Why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? I mean, you know, I tried the God thing and it just doesn't seem to be working. You ever, you ever be with somebody you really were wanting to see God do a work in their life and they go, yeah, 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 I did, I did the church thing and it didn't work for me. You know, I've done all that stuff and it just doesn't seem to work for me. I have heard that so many times I, I can't even begin to count it. And I just want to remind you there are probably just two major reasons why things don't work the way people anticipate them working in their life. Number one is this, and this is just review. Number one is, go ahead and flash it, people do not understand, first of all, what needs to happen. We live in a society that just sort of makes up the rules as they go along. We sort of create our own sort of thinking and thoughts and doctrine, and we just sort of create it ourselves. And so we've created our own personal understandings. We create our own universe, and then we say, God, come live in my universe. And that's not how it works. We have to understand what God has said, that's why he would say on two separate occasions, my people perish for lack of knowledge, and hell has opened wide its throat. Because we just, we just, we don't even know, we're clueless to what's going on. They think that their genuineness or their sincerity is the key to getting God to move. I mean, I've seen people all the time, they'll come to my office and they'll say, Pastor, I am sincerely doing fill in the blank. And the key is sincere. Doesn't God see I'm sincere, I'm genuine? Well, you may be. Those are wonderful qualities. But what happens if you're sincerely wrong or you're genuinely in error? God doesn't move according to that. He moves according to your obedience. So you have to understand what needs to happen. And then number two, people do not implement then what they may understand. That's the second reason. It's interesting how a lot of people know what they need to do and they just don't want to do it. You can believe all of the right stuff, but if you refuse to implement it, it will never do you any good. I, I feel like, and it's not just me being who I am in my particular viewpoint, but I, I think lots of people are going to be surprised when they meet the Lord uh, in eternity. Because many people have a knowledge of the cross, many people have a knowledge of the gospel story, but the unfortunate part is they've never encountered Jesus, they've never encountered the cross, and so it's never come alive to them and actually brought conversion to them. And so they're going to be 
greatly surprised in that day that they had all sorts of information that they knew, but it was never implemented in their heart or in their life. And so this is the last message. We've talked about all sorts of things. Praise God, we live in the dispensation of the CD. If you want to get them all, go back and grab them. But this is the last one, and I think it's one of the most important ones. Of course, you know me. Whatever I'm on, that moment's the most important thing in the universe at that particular time. But, but this is the one I think is a good one to leave you with because this is the one that will help you no matter what. This will help everybody. It doesn't matter if you've walked with God for decades or if you've walked with him for days. If you can get a hold of this one, it'll take you a long way as well. And I've called it pressing, pressing into your promise. Pressing into your promise. I want to read two verses to you, one out of Matthew. And then it is harmonized to an extent in Luke's gospel as well, 16, 16. But we'll start in Matthew, Matthew 11, verse 12. And then Luke's gospel, chapter 16, verse 16. And uh, it's all in red, so in my Bible that means Jesus said it. So let's read it here. Matthew eleven twelve. it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent, I want everyone to say violent. violent. Man, that's kind of a violent word, isn't it? It's, and the violent take it by force. Now turn over to Luke's gospel. Luke 16, 16. Luke 16, 16. Jesus says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone, everyone is pressing into it. Pressing into it. So we want to talk for just a moment or two what I've entitled Pressing into Your Promises. Now, as I mentioned, these verses are really crucial verses in beginning to understand how the kingdom of God works and how it's going to work in your life. Now, I want to remind you, and we've taught on this before, but this is just by way of reminder that the kingdom of God, listen to me, the kingdom of God is not so much a place you are going as much as it is a rule that you're entering. Now, the reason we would say that heaven is the kingdom of God is not because it's a location, but the reason we say that is because it is a place where God rules. Because he rules in perfection in the eternal heavenly realm, there the kingdom of God is. But that's not the only place the kingdom exists. In fact, Jesus was clear in this regard. In fact, he said, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then you will know that the kingdom of God has come near. So the kingdom has the ability to begin to invade or even come into our situation even in the here and now. Paul would say this, 1 Corinthians 4.20, I believe it's on the screen overhead. He said, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. So we can talk a lot about stuff, but ultimately when there's a demonstration of God's nature or his character, his attributes, whenever there's a demonstration of that or a manifestation of that, you begin to see a splash over as to what the kingdom is all about. He goes on to say in the book of Romans, Romans 14, 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, or eating and drinking in some of the versions. He says, But righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And so when you begin to read in totality what the kingdom is about, yes, the kingdom of God is certainly someplace you are going, but don't just relegate it there and there alone. The kingdom of God is something that wants to find expression in your heart and in your life. Can I just say this to you? That if God rules in your heart, 
Jesus already said, don't look here and there for the kingdom or with signs observing, for the kingdom of God is within you, he said. So if God rules in your heart, there is the kingdom. Wherever God rules, there is an expression of the kingdom that is beginning to burst forth. And I, I just want to ask you this particular question. Have there ever been a time in your life, and, and I know I would get a 100% response because we are all human beings and we all have those moments of, of great need, but has there been anybody who has not needed righteousness, joy, and peace in their life? I don't know about you, but there have been a few times in the last 30 days I could use a little righteousness, joy, and peace in my life. I'm just honest enough to admit it. How many of you know in the last 30 days, probably everyone in the room would have needed to see God's power somehow begin to spring up in their life and maybe do some things. So this is the kingdom. We've all needed the kingdom to come into our lives and into our circumstances. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we've, we've needed that to happen, but... But folks have wondered, and I have too at times, if, if I need this and God is able, then why in the world isn't it happening? Why, why don't I have joy? Why don't I have peace? Why isn't righteousness showing up? Why don't I see his power like I, I'd like to see it happen? I mean, there have been times I've wondered, God, where are you in all of these kind of things? And Jesus tells us in these verses that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, or the reign of God, has to be pressed into. The kingdom of God has to be pressed into. There is a, a spiritual, if you'll allow me, just, just bear with me as I just use some terms that may, may be abrupt for just a moment, but just bear with me. There is a spiritual violence or there can be a forcefulness to laying hold of what the kingdom of God contains. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that some things that are available as kingdom resource must be seized. I'll say that again. There are some things by way of kingdom resource that must be seized. Now, you're not going to seize them by carnal means. You're not going to seize them by doing something in your flesh. These things of the kingdom are not seized by earthly means. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So if you're going to seize something that is spiritual in nature, you're going to have to learn that there are some spiritual things you're going to have to do in order to seize them. And so we want to talk about that for just a moment because I have found as now I've pastored so many years and have talked with so many people that so many folks throw in the towel. They, they just refuse to arise and, and lay hold of some things that God has for them. They just become reeds in the wind. They, they're blown here and there and all over the place. And I want to help you understand that God actually expects you to seize some things that he has given for your benefit. Now, as we begin to talk about it, I want to start with what I've said. Why must we press into the kingdom? Why must we press into the kingdom? It's important to remember some things. And again, I know I'm reminding many of you of these facts, so just bear with me. But it's important to remember that the environment we now live in is hostile to the things of God. you got to get a hold of that. Right now, this earth really is not your home. The old song's true. We're just a passing through. It is a hostile environment. This world is not for the things of God. This world is not 
is not acclimated for the things of God. It doesn't have a disposition towards the things of God. I know, I know that you will leave this place and you'll meet family and friends and you'll go to work and you'll do your business as you do it and people will smile at you and they will tolerate you. But if we really got down to it, this world is not amicable, amicable to the kingdom. They killed Jesus. If they killed Jesus, it ought to say something as to what he, they would like to do with us at times. We get to get a hold of it. this environment is fallen. This environment is, is not conducive in and of itself for kingdom things. So your environment, wherever God has you, your environment is going to resist the things of God. I'm here to tell you, you can be a pastor in a church and your environment will resist the things of God. So don't think if you came to work for a church or you got to do a ministry that suddenly that isn't an issue anymore. I'll guarantee you it's an issue, maybe more so at times. But whatever environment you have, it is hostile and it's, it's resisting to the things of God and it's not wanting anything to do with the kingdom of God. And the reason is simple. You know this reason. It's because we live in a fallen world. We live with people who have a fallen nature. That's what fallen things do. Fallen things resist God. And so they begin to stiffen. And then they, 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 they say, no, they, they, they really don't want to do this. They, they resist all that God is doing. I want to read to you some verses. The only reason I do this is because I think we've done people a disservice at times by telling them that if they accept Jesus, all the life gets better. I don't know about you. When I accepted Jesus, my life didn't instantly get better. In Philippians 1.28, I just want to read a couple of verses. Philippians 1.28, this is what Paul says. After he says that we're striving together for the faith of the gospel, verse 28, Philippians chapter 1, he says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. He says, don't be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So what he's saying here is when you got an adversary, you're proving your salvation. Hallelujah. How do you know that you're saved when you can actually have an adversary? Every now and then an adversary is good for you. Blessed are those that persecute you for righteousness sake. Ooh, you want to be blessed? <laughs> ah, I know I'm saved when I actually irritate a few people along the way. I know that I'm saved when I can create a few adversaries along the way. He says in verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So you got to understand that you come into the kingdom, and I'm just trying to, you know, I just want truth in advertising right now. That's what I'm doing. Truth in advertising is that, that the kingdom produces conflict. The kingdom will produce a contending. That when you enter into the kingdom, there will be a resisting to the things of God because this whole earth resists what God wants to do. Now, there'll be a day it'll cry out for God, but there's a resistance. 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me read you this one. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It says, yes. Everyone say yes. 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 And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. <laughs> now, you know your spiritual hearty when you can say amen to 2 Timothy 3.12. Amen. There's going to be contending. There's going to be challenge. So when you come along announcing and believing for kingdom happenings in your life, when you begin to set your confession in order and you begin to declare the will of God in the earth, 
When you begin to announce that which God has called you to do or that which God is leading you to do, when you begin to set your mouth in alignment with that which God has said and you say the end from the beginning and you begin to enter into these things, you need to understand that your whole environment will begin to stiffen and it will begin to contend. And yes, I'll even say this, at times it will absolutely look the opposite of what you're saying. Your environment, you need to understand, your circumstance and your environment loves the status quo. If the enemy cannot defeat you, what he wants to do is he just wants to keep you treading water. If I can just keep them treading water, at least they aren't moving forward and doing me any more damage. So you need to understand that the, the environment you live in loves the status quo. Therefore, in order for the kingdom to begin to be manifested in your circumstance, for God's power, his righteousness... His joy, his peace, all of the things that the kingdom entails, in order for that to begin to enter into your circumstance, there will be spiritual confrontation. You will have to learn that there are going to be some things you'll have to press into, and it will get violent spiritually. I'm not talking about the arm of flesh. I'm talking about courage, fortitude, faith prayer, intercession, you're going to have to learn that these spiritual weapons that we've been given will have to be applied and used with great fortitude to press into the things of the kingdom. Because you're breaking the status quo. Do you understand every time you pray, you are declaring the status quo to change? Every time you pray, you sure are. Every time you get on your knees and you seek God for something and you cry out to the Lord for him to do something in this situation or to enter into this particular circumstance, you need to understand the instant you intercede it, it, there's a resistance in your environment that comes because it says we don't want to change. We, we don't want you to have joy. We don't want you to have peace. We don't want you to be whole. We don't want you to be well. All your environment suddenly just stiffens its back and says, I don't think so. And so you need to understand that when that happens, you've got a choice. Either you go, oh, okay, all right, I guess... I guess that just must not be God. Or you begin to press into. Press into. Those disciples in the upper room, I always have speculated as to why after Jesus gave them the, the marching orders to go to the upper room and to begin to pray and, and to seek God in that upper room, why it took them 40 days. Why did it take them 40 days of upper room intercession before the Holy Spirit was released? Because they went there out of obedience. you got to give them credit. At least they were obedient, which was really kind of high on the disciple scale in those days. I mean, you know, just getting them to get there was probably a, a great thing. So they get there, and they're obedient. But, but here's the interesting thing. If it were just their obedience, then maybe day one or day two... They really should have seen an outpouring begin to take place. But instead, there were 40 days of being in an upper room. 40 days. And we could speculate, and it would be an interesting conversation as to all the things that would have happened in those 40 days in that upper room. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what took place. But I think I can speculate with some sanctified imagination that I believe that in those 40 days, those men and those women had to press into some promises that they'd heard the Master say. When he was here on this earth, they had to get into that upper room and they said, we've been declared agents of change in the earth. Jesus said that we would go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said that we would be endued with power from on high. And guys, I don't know about you, but we can't do this unless God shows up and all their environment. How many of you know their environment was resistant? 
All of their environment didn't want anything to do with this. And so they had to seize or they had to lay hold of what God had promised. And once they laid hold of what God had promised, then they were able to come into the streets and the church was unstoppable. Now the things of God, this is what I'm getting at. The things of God do not always just happen. Not everything in your life that God wants to do or accomplish can happen by you passively sitting around. I mean, I understand people, I understand we sang it this morning and I agree with it. God is sovereign and God can do anything he wants to do. But here's the amazing thing. If, if we believe in sovereignty that much, then, he, then we just might as well tip the scale over and just say ain't no reason for anybody to even make a march toward an altar or give a confession of faith because he's going to save who he's going to save and he'll toast who he's going to toast and we'll just leave it to God's sovereignty. I don't believe that. I believe the Bible says whoever will. I believe that I have a responsibility to declare the gospel. Give folks an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. There comes a moment that a folk, folks have to arise and they have to say, I want God in my life. I mean, they need to say, I want him. Not because he just makes me, but because I want him. Some things have to be seized. And how many of you know salvation is something that we can lay hold of? That is God's will, that all men be saved everywhere. I don't have to pray about that one. I know that's his heart. So I know, I know I can look someone in the eye and I can, I can minister and exhort them and say, listen, lay hold. You can lay hold of salvation. You can lay hold of being set free. This is God's will. If they rise up and go, I don't know, I'm not sure, it ain't God's fault. you got to press in to some things. You must seize some things. I watch many, many Christians fail at life because they never understood that there would be a point they would have to arise and press into their promise. They never understood that. They just thought they could just kind of just meander through life and wherever God will just, you know. And I'm not, God will love you. Sure. But there are some things you're going to have to lay hold of. The kingdom of God cometh by force or violence, and the violent lay hold of it. They are pressing into the kingdom. Acts 14.22. Listen to this. Acts 14.22. Paul's talking about strengthening the church. There in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And he says here in verse 22, Acts 14, it says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, listen to this, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So he automatically says this, you want to enter the rule of God, you're going to have to go through some challenging, contending, difficult circumstances. Everything's not going to lay down for you. There are some things you're going to have to arise and press into and press through. Not everything is instant in the kingdom. Not every, I know in America we are the microwave generation. I understand that. We pop it in the microwave, you know, push the two-minute button, and boom, bang, we've got meals. I mean, I went to a restaurant. This is probably a couple years ago at Edisto. It was a, it was a, they told us it was a fancy restaurant, and we walked in. There wasn't much fancy about it, to be honest with you. But we walked into this restaurant, and it was a French restaurant, and, you know, we looked at the menu, and it was all, you know, in the Edwardian script writing and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and you know, the prices were definitely pricey, and... And, and so we ordered what had happened. And, and so what, the, what does the dude do? He pulls it all together in this nice, lovely plate. And then he puts it in a microwave. <laughs> and he nuked my meal. 
All right, great. But we've been conditioned by that. We've been conditioned that I can make money, I can do this, I can do it quick. I can flip the house, I can, I, I can, I can turn it over fast. Everything in the kingdom doesn't work like that. The kingdom is not subject to our American ways. Victory comes when we contend for the promise. Adversity is unavoidable, but it can be overcome if we arise and we press into the kingdom. If we arise and say, I will lay hold of my promise. If we arise, like, like all the pictures of the Old Testament give us, and begin to contend with that which we know is ours. Whether you're David looking at Goliath and you say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes to taunt the armies of the living God? Or whether you're Eleazar the dodo who's only got this short little pea patch, but the Philistines show up and he arises and he begins to beat those Philistines off. Hundreds of them. Because doggone it, it's my pea patch. God gave me the pea patch. Ain't going to have no Philistines in my pea patch. Well, you got to get that in your spirit. You've got to arise and seize some things. Now, what does it mean to seize? To seize or to press into, as I mentioned, is not applying some carnal or fleshly action that simply forces your way. Now, hear me. There are a lot of people that want to that do something carnal or fleshly in order to get something to happen. And I'm just telling you, that's not the way of the kingdom. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would pick up swords. He said, we can implement kingdom by swords, I suppose. But he says, that's not how it operates in my kingdom. So understand that, that we aren't going to leverage our way into this. But there is a righteous spiritual conviction that can arise in the inner man that can get you to seize that promise. Now, whenever you face adversity, to me, adversity always asks the question, how bad do you want the will of God? If you're ever facing adversity, that's the question that's being asked of you at that very moment. How badly do you really want God's will? How badly do you really want to press into the things of God? How deep is your conviction at this adverse moment to the things of God really? Every time adversity arises, that's the question that's being asked. And somewhere along the line, we've developed a picture of Jesus as sort of a spiritual sissy. He's just sort of this spiritual sissy sort of guy who just kind of walked around and certainly he was full of love. Certainly he loved the children and the kids and he had gentleness and tenderness and mercy and all the things that are certainly attributable to Jesus. But we better understand that Jesus is coming back on a horse with a sword out of his mouth and in his hand with the armies of heaven. He ain't no sissy. God is not a sissy. We need to understand that there is a legitimate righteous place out of our spirit to begin to challenge the oppressive forces of darkness. If you want the blessing of God, then realize you're going to have to wrestle for some things and contend for some things. Jacob was the one, even out of his rotten character, at least had enough sense to know that I'm not letting go of the angel of the Lord until he blesses me. He wrestled that rascal all night long. And he kept saying, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. I will not let you go until you bless me. And so God blessed him by taking a socket out of his hip and making him limp the rest of his life. Amen. You want to be blessed? But I'll tell you what else he did. He changed his name from being Jacob, a usurper and a liar and a schemer, to Israel, prince of nations. I'll limp. I'll limp being a prince any old day that's strutting being a manipulator. You'll be more powerful with your limp. Than you ever were with your strut. But 
Jacob's change came when he determined he was going to contend and he was going to wrestle. He was going to press into. He wasn't going to let go of God. He wasn't going to throw in the towel. He wasn't, he wasn't going to stop moving until God began to do something in his life. I am amazed at the way we understand this in the natural, but we don't always get this in spiritual terms. I don't know about you, but I made the mistake several years ago of taking a spring vacation at Disney World. What in the world seized my mind at that moment? My love for family and children obviously overcame my sense. We were down there at spring break. Yes, we were. Yes, we were. And I want you to know that every day on that spring break we were down there, they had to close all the parks at Disney World because they were full to capacity. And I was in there. I was. Everywhere I went. I, just, I, I, I can show you right now how you walked through Dis Disney World that day. It's like you're dancing with the stars right there. I mean, it's... I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, we, it was, uh, I, I hate to say it, but it wasn't fun. Might have been for the kids. You know, they have that, they have, you know, what the express pass or whatever they call it, fast pass. Well, the fast pass machines were empty because there were so many people. You couldn't fast pass. And so the only real spiritual thing that happened is, you know, we kind of stand out, I guess, just kind of look mopey. And people give us their fast pass times because they couldn't be there. So, you know, we did, we were able to mooch a few of those off, just, you know, people that were there. But every, listen to me, every, every ride, every attraction, every restaurant, everything in that park, you had to press into that thing. You had to seize your place to sit. I'm here to tell you, if you preferred your brother, your brother would just run over you. I, if you wanted your $50 worth of Magic Kingdom, you better learn how to arise and press into whatever ride, press into Space Mountain, press into Dumbo. Do you understand? Hundreds of thousands of people will do that. <laughs> Why? I don't know. There's something they want to experience. There's something they want to access. There's, there's, there's fun at the other end of that pressing in. But when it comes to spiritual things, oh, we won't press. No, no, I, I, I can't press. I was watching a cable show the other day. It was one of those upper level cable channels it was about clothing I think but it, the, the show had to be had, had to do with excuse me about designer wedding dresses and apparently there was like one day in the year that this designer would pull out all his unsold wedding dresses and they would sell them at rock bottom prices and the whole show was about how women would line up down the block in order to get these designer wedding dresses. You look at all these women, you say, surely this many females couldn't be getting married that's this soon. I mean, but there were, there were all these women lined up in order to get those wedding dresses, and they would open up the doors. And these mild-mannered, <laughs> hell hath no fury like a woman on a mission in a discount store. Yeah, I mean, I'm just telling you. They went through that door, they elbowed each other. They turned into UFC fighters right there. I mean, it, 
I mean, they, they were going to get them their designer discount dress. They were going to press into the store. They were going to get their bargain. They would not be denied. Is that not amazing? How we will do that. You watch Best Buy on the day after Thanksgiving. Circuit City. People be up at 3 a.m. going to get them their 50% off of that tie they're going to get for their dad. <laughs> amazing. It amazes me what people will do. It's amazing to me how in the natural we will, we will press into these things, but we want God to enter into our situation. We want, we want God to heal. We want God to deliver. We want God to resource us. But I'm not sure I can get up on time to make it to the house of God. Oops. Now he done gone to meddling right there. He just, he done gone to meddling. Do you understand? We got to press into some things. Now I'm going to give you three things, just three things. Not a list of ten, just three. I am now to the place where I believe if I can just get three things. I used to give you ten. I've kissed that goodbye. I'm just going to live with three. And then I'll give you part two if I have to or something like that. I want to give you some attributes of a pressing in person. Number one. Some attributes of a pressing in person. Number one. You have to have the ability to shake off the victim mentality. These past weeks, if you've been watching news, you've heard everything from, in our area, to local robberies by nine-year-olds and teenagers, to congressmen who are sending disgusting emails to their pages. And the one consistent attribute in all of this, despite all of the stuff that just makes you scratch your head and roll your eyes and say, what in the world is going on? The one consistent attribute you hear in all of these situations is when they finally catch the perpetrator, we find out it's really not their fault. Wow. Wow. It's not their fault. Why, they were abused. They weren't potty trained correctly. They grew up on the other side of the tracks. They didn't have all the, all the opportunity other children have. Oh, it's certainly not their fault. They are, they are victims of something. They're always the victim. Can I just tell you this? The reason God always asks in our life for repentance, can I just, this sort of came to me, and I never thought of it this way before, but the reason God asks us for repentance is because whenever you repent, it acknowledges responsibility. That my sin is not someone else's fault. My issues are not some way I was raised or some happening in my past, you know, my, my past circumstances. But when I repent, I am saying it is my fault. It's my fault. I am responsible. And once you quit being the victim and you arise and recognize that you have an ability in God and by his power to begin to move forward, you will quit being that victim and seize your resources to triumph. 2 Kings chapter 7, it's one of my favorite stories. 2 Kings 7, one of my favorite stories. Listen, i, I got to read this one to you, beginning in verse 3. This is with Elisha and some things that were going on. And it says, 2 Kings 7 verse 3, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine's in the city, and we shall die there. 
And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, well, we're only going to die anyway. Amazing. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots, the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, you know, that we're not doing right, but it didn't stop them, of course, from doing everything they're doing. But the point of the story is this. They're at the, they're at the gate. They're looking at each other saying we're going to die. And there came a moment when they said, well, we, we might as well arise. We need to shake off this mentality that says that somehow I am a victim of my particular circumstance. Quit being the victim and arise and begin to pursue what God has for us. There are Christians right now. You are, you are, you are defeated before you ever just give the devil one good swift kick. You're already defeated. You're, you've already determined. It won't ever change. It won't ever be any different. It just isn't going to be that way. That's your lineage. That's your household. That's your family tree. That's the way you were raised. It'll never be any different. And you say to yourself, I might as well just sit here and die. And God is looking at you right now and he's saying it is time to arise and go face the enemy. Get up and face the enemy. So you got to shake off that victim mentality. Number two, you got to refuse to take no for an answer. Now, hear me very quickly. I understand God will say no at times. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. you got to know what the will of God is in certain circumstances. And I believe God can speak to you. But when you know what the will of God is in certain circumstances, there has to be an inner conviction inside of you to refuse to accept anything less than what he's promised. I mean, how many times have you heard concerning some promise that the Lord has spoken? Well, the Lord must just not want me to have that. Well, you know what? If, if it's in his book and it's in his word and it's a promise of God, then, then the issue isn't whether God wants you to have it or not. The issue is if he's not a respecter of persons and we all stand the same before God and this is his heart, then there ought to be something that arises in me that begins to say, I'm going to see some things. I'm not letting this go until I, I, I start pressing into the things of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 5, you know the story. I won't read it. It's the woman with the issue of blood. She'd seen doctors for decades. And all the doctors could do nothing with the flow of blood. But the day came, Jesus came through. You know the story. The crowd is great. Everybody's pressing into Jesus. She begins to maneuver her way through the crowd, pressing in, doing everything she can do, just as she says, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. And there came a moment that she was able to reach out, even through that adverse crowd, even through the, the doctors telling her it wouldn't be different. We can do no more. It's all settled. Give up. Let it go. She said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I refuse to accept no for an answer in this situation. And she laid hold of the master. The Bible says virtue left him. And he looks and he says, who touched me? And the disciples go, everybody? You're in a crowd, Lord. Everybody's touched you. And he says, uh-uh, uh-uh. Somebody laid hold of me, 
that touched me different. There was a lady that was a presser through one. There was a lady who decided she wouldn't take a no for an answer because she knew the heart of God in her situation. And she decided she wasn't going to lay down and just die. She decided she just wasn't going to give up. But there was something in her, even on her hands and knees, that she would crawl her way through a crowd. And those are nasty streets. She'd crawl through the, 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 oh, the manure and the trash and the junk and the nasty streets. If I but touch him, I'll have, I'll have a healing. I'm just not taking no for an answer here. I, I love the story. I heard this not long ago. Charles Finney, when he would speak... He'd get down to the end of his message and it would be time to give an invitation. And he wouldn't give invitations when he held his meetings. He'd look at people and say after the meeting that night, he would say, if you want to get saved, be at my office at 5 a.m. If you're late, I won't talk to you. And according to history, they'd be lined up around the block. I thought to myself, God knows we couldn't do that today in America. God knows that wouldn't happen. Because God knows he's going to, we, we ain't going to do anything out of the norm in order to see God move in our life. We aren't going to step any way out of any zone we've created for God to do something. And you know what? That may be the reason we don't see God's arm move in our situation like we'd want to see him move. And then number three, the willingness to go the extra mile. If you can get a hold of this, folks, I just, it'll change your life. Mark chapter two, you know the story of the guys who bring their buddy on the bed, you know? The cripple that's on the bed, and, and, they, and they've got him in the gurney, and they can't get through the crowd because it's just too big, and so they crawl up on the roof, and they drop the dude down from the roof in order to get to Jesus. And, and I just thought as I was reflecting on that story, you will never get the concept of seizing unless you're willing to go the extra mile. People want promotion at their job, but they're unwilling to do anything extra. We want great relationships. We want great family. We want great marriages. We want great children. We want all of this in the area of relationship, but we can't ever rearrange a schedule. We can't, we can't get off work in order to go get help. We want our kids to love and serve God, but God knows we're, we're, we're not going to make them do anything concerning spiritual things, although we'll get little Johnny's hiney up in the morning and run him off to school. We'll make sure he's at soccer practice and basketball and everything, everything that they need to do, every experience under the sun. And we want God to move in their life, but we got to understand we're going to have to go the extra mile if we want to see God do some things in our life. I haven't done everything right as a dad, and I can tell you as parents there are things we would do over if we could. But by golly, we're going to make sure when it's all said and done, if my children determine they don't love God, it'll be over our cold, dead bodies. Amen. I watch Nicaraguans walk for miles, walk for miles in order to worship God. And then we're amazed that he opens up blind eyes and raises the dead. I've been to Russia and seen pastors and people travel by train for days. And believe me, that is no joy to do. And they go to a conference. And then we wonder why cultural halls are filled and everybody gives their heart to the Lord. Thousands are saved. Chinese Christians walk for hours, huddled secretly in house churches. They go to jail and, and go there for decades, winning people to Jesus. And we wonder why God moves in their lives and in their country. Americans, Americans, we don't get it. We can't adjust our already busy time. God, come to my universe. And God's saying, I ain't moving anymore. You're going to need to step into my will and my kingdom. You have to begin to press into some things. Or you'll be forever frustrated. 
Can I just tell you, you got to press into some things with him or you will be frustrated. Don't do some carnal thing. you got to get spiritual and begin to do some spiritual things and press into God. I have this last story and I'm done. Let me tell you, this is going to blow your mind. It, it blew mine. This weekend, we had to go up the road in order to be with Tracy's folks and Many of you know the story. Tracy's mom had to have a pacemaker put in. and So she's been traveling up the road, and this is one of those times they'd yet to see Clay. And so Clay was able to go up the road, and we wanted to see her mom and help in that area. And We had been making plans for some time in, in doing this to also go up and to baptize her dad. Now, now let, me, let me just tell you, i got to tell you the story about her dad. And he would not mind me, I think, telling this story. But he'd served God for years. I mean, he... he in fact, we'd asked him before we, we baptized him, we asked him to tell us a little bit about why we were coming to this moment, and Clay was there with me, and it was just the three of us guys. And um, he said, you know, years ago, I went to a fairly familiar church in, in the South, and, and, and I gave what I thought was my heart to the Lord when I was eight years old. He said, but I can tell you, I, I guess I knew everything I, I could know as an eight-year-old, but I, I can tell you this, I, I didn't live for the Lord. And he said, in fact, most of my life, I, I'd gone to church and gone through all the things they've asked me to do and participated in service. You need to understand, he was a minister of music, worship pastor, did revivals, great singer. And for years, he did all of these things, but he, he clearly articulated to me, he said, but I, I had trouble all my life. I had trouble with women. He said, I, I, just, I just had all sorts of sins, and they plagued me. And all these years, they plagued me, and they've haunted me. And I've known in the last few years to be incredibly sincere about seeking the Lord. In 1989, can I tell the story? In 1989, he was a minister of music. He was going up the road in the upstate, and he was heading to have a liaison, a fair. But while he was going up the road, a semi rear-ended him, broke his back paralyzed him from the waist down so since 1989 he's had a 16 inch steel rod in his back can barely walk we've often said and he has too that probably that was the greatest act of God that had ever come to his life it was probably God sparing him more than anything but it had been 17 years since he sat in that chair that he sits in there in his bedroom and I've known him the last few years I've known him to have a lengthy prayer sheet. I've known him to have pages of large print Bible that he can read and he reads it and, and he's serious about the things of God and I need to tell you that, that again it was years ago he had gone to a full gospel church and he'd been seeking some of the things of God and, and he had just had a real bad experience, a real bad taste was left in his mouth and so he'd rejected the things of God some of the things of the spirit and it just sort of left them off to the side but God had been talking to him because he'd been reading the word now for I don't know, five, ten years seriously. He'd been praying seriously there in his chair. The time had come where he said, I wanted to be baptized again. And so as we were making arrangements, I said, how do you baptize a guy that can barely walk? I mean, we're talking that, that Jim Maccabee, he's a big man. I mean, a big man. I'm not sure Clay and I could handle him, even ourselves. He's a big man. And I, I thought, how are we going to baptize him? And so we, we talked some logistically before we got up there and and... and, and 
we began to move in that direction and we prayed. And so he said, I, I, I want this. And this is what he said to me. He said, more than, more than being water baptized, although I want to be water baptized, I read in the Bible that, that there were several occasions when they were water baptized that the Holy Spirit would come. And they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that beautiful language would come. And I said, well, you, and I started, I said, well, Jim, you know, you understand. That's not the end all. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I, all I can do these days is pray. And if all I can do is pray, then I want to make sure I can pray in everything I can pray in. Well, okay. So, so he got up out and he, I, I'm not trying to be indelicate. He's, he, he takes his, his, his pants off and takes his shirt off and he's just, he's there in his underwear. We're talking a big man. I said, Jim, can I help you? I mean, Clay and I are standing. Can I help you? He goes, no, no, I can get there. Pull a chair up. And he, and he gets set in the, ch in the chair, in the wheelchair, and he's able to spin it around. He rolls it to the bathroom. We're talking, I don't know even how big that bathroom is, 10 by 10 by. I mean, if, there's, if, there's a, if, if there's 50 square feet in that bathroom, it, it'd be amazing. So, and we're, we're there. How are we going to do this, Jim? He goes, well, I got a plastic chair. And he, he, he just gets this plastic chair in the tub, and he begins to work his way. And, and we want to help, but there's no way you can help him. It's just he's too big a man, there's too small a space, and we can't even get a hold of him. And, and he's crawling in there to this bathtub, and it's just a normal little bathtub. And I said, well, what do you think we should do? And he said, well, I just, I don't know, I'll just leave it to you. So we turned on the water, and the water starts running, and the whole time the water's running, he starts singing. He starts singing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. He starts singing all those songs that I don't even, I don't know them all. He just starts singing his heart. His arms are up there. You got to understand, he can't walk. His, his, his legs from about here down, they're just emaciated and thin, and he can't walk. And he's in there, and I'm looking at Clay going, I mean, I, I, you know, I've got 25 years of ministry under my belt, but this is the first time this has happened. And, and, and so we fill the bathtub up as far as it would go. I look at Clay. I said, Clay, go run. Go run. Get a big glass or something. And he ran and got a big glass. And we came back in and said, Jim, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to baptize you in water first. Because we, there's no way we could dunk him anywhere. So I took that glass and I just I started pouring water on him. Now that bathtub, I just started pouring water. He's a big man. It took a lot of scoops, I'm just telling you. I mean, <laughs> he's just getting wet and. He's going, God, I know I'm clean. If I've ever been clean, I know I'm clean today. I know through the years I haven't always been clean, but I know I'm clean today. I've asked forgiveness. I know that I know I'm clean today. And if there ever was a time that you would give me your promised spirit, I know it'd be today because I don't know that I could be any cleaner than I am right now. And we just poured water. I did about five, six times. I probably should have done it seven times. I wasn't even counting. I just was trying to get him wet. We baptized him in water, and then I said, Jim, the only thing I know to do now is how we do it, and we're just going to believe God right now that it happens. And my heart's going like this. And we're just going to believe right now that the Holy Spirit will fall in this bathroom. And I don't want you to say a word. Just when I lay hands on you, I just want you, don't let it get messed up in your mind. Just, just speak out of your heart. We talked to him about communication and the things of communication, and I just said, you know, the last thing I want to do is to do something that's not God, but we're just going to believe God's going to come right now. And so we just started, Clay and I began to pray in the spirit right there. He's just wet. He's in his underwear, sitting in the bathtub. And we just, we just all of a sudden, we just laid hands and began to pray in the spirit. And all of a sudden, something uncorked out of him, a sound from another realm. 
And we prayed, and 60 seconds went by, and we were praying, and I was ready to stop. But he's just still going on, and we're probably two minutes and three minutes, maybe somewhere in that area. I don't want to embellish, but it was a significant amount of time that he began to just pray in the Spirit. And we got done, and, and God was in that little bathroom there. It was the most amazing thing, and he was crying in tears, and he goes, You know, I've wanted for years, and there's no way I could have done this, and God has touched me today. We sat there in the bathroom and he had tears running down his face and I started to well up. And I said, well, Jim, I, you got it about as good as I've ever seen it got. <laughs> and he just went on. He says, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you that my son-in-law and my grandchild were here. Thank you, Lord, that this, this has happened. Thank you. I knew, I knew, I knew you'd have this for me. And I started to think about that because I had already begun to just type out. I was, I was almost done typing out the notes for today. And I thought to myself, if there ever was an illustration, Lord, that you could give me about someone who was just bound and determined to press in. He, he, he dealt with all the stupid stuff religion teaches you for decades. But he just kept pressing in until finally paralyzed in his underwear. Can you imagine before your grandson and your son-in-law emaciated? We're talking, well, I, it just isn't pretty. No, I'll get there. I'll do it myself. I want God that bad. I want him to do this in my life that bad. And I thought to myself, it took an accident with a semi to get him to the place that he would press in. What's it going to take for some of you to press in? What will it take for me to press in? I'm asking that same question. God, don't send me a semi. I don't want a semi to wake me up. I don't want catastrophe to wake me up. I don't want something, Lord, that you got to use to ring my bell. Lord, help me today to arise. I don't want an issue of blood and the doctors say there's no hope. I don't want friends carrying me in on a gurney in order for me to press in. Lord, today, today, cause me to arise in my heart and be a presser in one. Come on, what are you looking for God to do? You're waiting for your next prayer line or your next teaching, your next tape. I'm telling you, God's waiting for you to press in and lay hold, grab, seize. I'm just messed up. Holy Ghost, messed up. Pressing in. What will it take for you to press in? Some of you right now, you said, I've been to altars, and you know, I've, I've given my heart to the Lord, and I don't feel any different. I don't want me around to do this, that. You know what? When are you going to press in with God? you got to press in. you got to arise. Something's got to just be activated in you. There are guys right now, they, you'd wait hours. You'd wait hours to get tickets for a concert. You'd, 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 you'd do all kinds of things. You'd figure out a way to get into that ball game so you could watch that special ball game. You'd do anything you could do to get certain things in the natural life. you press in in a heartbeat. But when it comes to what God could do in your life that would ultimately and eternally make a difference, you know, I don't know. I know none of us will have to do what I saw my father-in-law do. And I tell you what, I respect him because I never thought he'd do it. But I watched God meet a man 
who decided he was going to see something. He just, he just wasn't going to let it go. Just wasn't going to let it go. I'll tell you right now, if, 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 I, if, I had to, if I had to crawl over people in a church, at a conference, and if I knew that God was saying, I, you, it's time you see something, I wouldn't let anybody stand in my way. I could care less what somebody thought of me. The question is, how bad do you want that promise? How bad do you want it? How, how, much, how much are you sold out to the will of God? Are you ready to seize Do you understand that if we're going to win a city, we're going to have to seize it. It's not going to lay down for us. I've come to that conclusion. We're not going to be able to play at church and somehow win a city. I have come to the conclusion. I was watching the mo uh, this movie. Anybody seen Facing the Giants yet? If you hadn't seen Facing the Giants, you need to go this afternoon and go see it. It's a great movie. Great movie. It'll encourage your faith. But I have I've come to the conclusion... That, that we, cannot, we cannot play around. We cannot, we cannot just expect everything to roll over. We're going to have to absolutely give God our very best. And we're going to have to start seizing, start pressing, start moving. It is, it is too little of a thing. Hear me now. It is too little of a thing to just build a big church. Too little of a thing. The greater thing is number one, serving God. And number two, change, seeing lives changed and seeing whole regions come to know him. I mean, I mean, it, it wouldn't take but a few people, I think, if God got on him to do an incredible impact. It doesn't take numbers. It takes seizing and pressing in. And it's, it's too little a thing. We, you know, and it finally dawned on me, it's too little a thing to just say, well, let's grow a church. That's too little a thing anymore. You know what a big thing is? A big thing is looking at people's lives, like some of you that are here right now, and I know where you've come from, and I know where you're at. That's way bigger. See, you know, I got Steve here. I mean, I, let me tell you, I wouldn't, this, this, this man, I wasn't, I wasn't sure this man was going to make it. You know that? You probably knew that. But I'll tell you this much, this, 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 this old boy, he slept outside in his coat. He slept under bridges. He's kicked out of his house because the enemy just wanted him badly. But he arose and he went after a destiny. He got into the military even though he's probably a little old for that. He outdid most of the 18-year-olds that were there. They called him Grandpa. Hey, now he's going to Hawaii. But Hey, listen. There came a moment for Steve, and I'll be honest with you, there were some moments I wasn't sure Steve was going to make it. I'm sorry, Steve, I apologize. I, there are just some of those moments. I just wondered. But God bless you, there was another moment that you arose, and you decided you were going after it. You were going after it. We're proud of you. We're proud of you. How about it? Everybody stand with me, will you? What do you need to seize? What do you need to lay hold of? You got to be sure. Now, you just can't be, don't come down here and go, I'm going to seize my Lexus. You just get out of here. I mean, it's just, you, you haven't got it. You had not got it. We're, we're talking about the purposes of God. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We got to lay hold of that which is in the kingdom. I'm going to ask you right now, what, what is God asking you to rise, arise to? Some of you need to arise and press out of you some, some 
thoughts and feelings and actions and habits. You gotta arise. I'm tired. I'm tired of looking at people saying, I can't quit doing this. I just can't quit it. Oh, just quit it. You haven't pressed yet. You haven't resisted the blood. Let me show me the blood. I'm telling you folks, God has a destiny for each one of us in this place, but he is calling us to arise and to press into his kingdom. 72-year-old James Maccabee got in his wheelchair, in his underwear, to a bathroom, and he got what he was looking for. If he'll do it for Jim, he'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. So right now, this is what I'm asking. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your spirit would come upon this people. Lord, these are good people. These are people that have stood and, and they've linked arms, Lord, with Trace and myself. And, Lord, they've stood in this church and they've given and they've sacrificed. And, Lord, they've journeyed to this point. And there's so many things that I could commend them for. But, Lord, right now I know that as much affirmation as I could give that some of their destinies hang in the balance right now. Some of their healings hang in the balance right now. Some of their relationships hang in the balance right now. Some of their futures hang in the balance right now. And Lord, the only thing that they got right at this moment is to allow you to arise in their inner man. Give them the courage to press into and press through, to lay hold of, to seize, to violently take charge or just lay hold of the, the kingdom stuff, Lord, and cause that to do and happen in their life right now, I pray. Right now, Lord, you, you, you do that, Lord. I can't make them, Lord. I've tried for years to somehow get people. And, Lord, if I could drag them into it, sometimes I would try. But, Lord, they've got to press. Let that spirit arise in them as individuals. And I pray it would arise in us as a people. Now, I want to ask you right now, what, what is it that, that's a promise? Again, don't, 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 don't come down here. I'm just a moment, I'm going to open up the altars. Don't be messing with God and just, well, you know, I, I, you know, I, just, I just need to, you know, kind of press into, you know, maybe just, yeah, just, you need to arise and just say, no, I, this is God's will for me. And I'm going to lay hold of some things in the spirit. I'm just reluctant to, to just announce things because, you know, well, then, then people will say, well, that doesn't involve me. Yes, it does. It involves you right now. There are things that you have let go, set on a shelf put off to the side and, and, and I suspect some of you are even being genuinely trying to be genuinely spiritual well God must not want me I thought I heard from him but I guess I didn't and, and I know what that, that feels like I've done it myself wondered a little confused but you know there comes a place in your heart where God talks to you and he bears witness where you know that you know that you know that is the heart of God and the only thing that stands between that promise and its manifestation is whether or not you're going to press through a crowd and you're going to at least lay hold of the hem of his garment. What are you pressing in for right now? What are you pressing in for right now? I'm going to pray the pressing in prayer right now. You might not know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to join in this. There's going to be some that are going to come here in just a moment and press in. I don't want you to come because your friend came. Spare God, spare us all. If you aren't coming down here because you yourself want to press in, then just stay where you are. I will respect you and God will respect you more. But if you need to press in for something, and I understand not everybody does. It might not be that kind of season. So I understand that if you are, are there in the congregation, it's okay. You are blessed and you're okay, you're fine because not everybody may need to press in. But don't you do it because your friend went and you're afraid of how it looks. 
You need to press in for yourself. I'm coming down here. I'll, I'll climb over people. I don't care what family thinks. I don't care what friends think. I don't care what they'll say about me. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to seize. I'm going to seize. The violent lay hold of it. Do what you'll be glad you did right now. What are you pressing in for? Healings? Deliverances? Breaking of bad habits? Resource? The list is endless, but right now, right now, count of three, you press in. When you come to this altar, you're saying, I'm pressing in. One, two, three, now. Just, I'm pressing in. I'm pressing in. I'm pressing into some things right now. I don't, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm going to press into some things. Come on. You got to press in. Let me tell you something. Our, our household is having to press in. I'm telling you, the pastor's house is pressing in. We do the same thing you all do. We repent when we get revelation. We get before God and say, I don't want it this way anymore. We're going to press in. you got to press in right now. Come on now, press in. Before I even pray, don't wait for me to pray. You press in. You cry out to God. Come on now, cry out to God. Cry. What does it sound like when a people presses in? What does that sound like? What does it sound like when, when God hears the sound of a people who say, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will, not, I will not let you go until you do this in me. I'm going to ask Clay. Clay, are you around? Can you come? Come on up. Just come on up and begin to play here for just a moment and just put some sounds. And guys, you can drop the background here in just a moment. And Clay, I want you to play. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on now. Press in. You know how to press in. Tell the Lord what you're looking for. Tell him what you want. Tell him what your desire is. What, what did he speak to you about? Come on, you know. You know. You know. Come on. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray right now. I just link up with all of these who are praying right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, that we press into you. We press into the kingdom this day. I ask you, oh God, that you would begin to cause us to have a courageous spirit right now. That, Lord, we would not allow this one moment at a church service to be our only moment. But that, Lord, this would be that, that, that springboard, that, that place where we're able to step up into that next position, Lord, that we are moving towards you. In order that we might press in and see all the promises of God come to pass. Your word says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And that you have sent your spirit to us as a guarantor of those things which you have promised. And Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, I declare over this people right now, I declare a courageous spirit. I declare right now a tenacious spirit, a resilient spirit in the name of Jesus, a diligent spirit in the name of Jesus. I declare over each and every one of you, come on now, receive it for yourself. Receive it. Receive what I'm saying right now as if God were looking you right between the eyes and it was His voice to your heart. I speak into you courage right now. Come on, that Rockweiler spirit that says, I will not. I'm going to lay hold of this. I'm not letting it go. Right now, Lord, you've called. You've called me to be whole and you've called me to be well. I press into the kingdom right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, you provided healing. You said that by your stripes we were healed. And I press into the healing promises of the kingdom and the cross right now in the name of Jesus.
I press into that. I press into that. I lay hold, Lord, of that wholeness of the mind of Christ in my mind right now, Lord, that the kingdom, kingdom thoughts will begin to drive out every lofty thing and every speculation and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I lay hold of it. I'm not letting go. I'll die trying, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all that I got. But let it never be said that I didn't give it everything that I had. I'm not going to roll over and lay down. I'm tired of being the punching dummy for the enemy. But I will arise. Let God arise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that it's happening right now. Come on, now you need to begin to say, I dip into the kingdom realm. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we just agree right now. If any two agree on earth, is touching it in heaven. We begin to dip into the kingdom right now. We press into the kingdom right now in the name of Jesus. And we lay hold of wholeness and health. We lay hold of the power of the cross that breaks and cancels every curse that has been spoken over us. Every word, every label. We break that in the name of Jesus. We're not leaving this place the same. We've left the same too many times. We will not leave the same today because we're pressing in. Lord, we tell you it doesn't end at an altar. It starts here this morning. It starts at an altar and it pours into the streets and it goes into the city. Hallelujah. Yeah. Come on. Yes, lift your voice. Yes, make a sound. Come on, I'm waiting for the pressing through sound to begin to arise. They said on the day of Pentecost that there was a sound. There was a sound. I believe there's a sound that's going to start arising. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The sound of those that will not let him go. I will not let you go.
And I prophesy now, listen, I prophesy now that as you have chosen, says the Lord, to arise, as you have made the choice to press in to my kingdom and to my resource, you will find me there, says the Lord, for I will meet you. For as you have drawn near to me, I shall draw near to you. As you have resisted the enemy, he is now fleeing. And I declare to you this day that as you take what I am doing even now, says the Lord, and you allow me to continue this work through this day and into this week, yea, saith the Lord, you'll begin to see a distinguishable difference. Yes, says the Lord, I am on the brink of doing a swift thing and a quick thing, but I have been waiting for a people to respond and to obey. So do not be surprised, says the Lord, as you begin to do this thing, that you see my arm move, that you see my hand begin to spread out across your circumstance. But I tell you in advance, says the Lord, do not rest, do not, do not take ease, but press forward, move forward, pursue. And as you pursue, you will press into an area you've never been in before. You will see me do as I've never done before. I will begin to unveil as I have never unveiled before. Yes, says the Lord, I am sending this word to you. Be of good courage. Do not fear, for I am with you, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Sing it. My life. My world, my world, a be lifted high, and my love, be lifted high. you go right now I don't I don't want you just to be emotional I want you to be tenacious and diligent because we can get a spiritual we can get jazzed and it doesn't bring transformation you've got to let the jazz bring transformation you got to let it bring change you got to change the way you look at life you got to change the way you view your future you got to change you got to you got to say Lord I need transformation I, I've, I've, got to, I've got to change. God's wanting to change a people to bring them from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from purpose to purpose. He's got something great for you, but it's time we quit rolling over. It's time we quit playing dead and arose and pursued, pursued, pursued. Thank you, Lord, for putting the spirit of pursuit in your people. 
Thank you, Lord, that this morning we're not going out the same as we came in. Thank you, Lord, that there is distinguishable change that you are, you are bringing about in our life. Thank you for young people, Lord, that will learn some of these concepts early, that they will forever be different. They'll not walk the paths that parents walked. But, Lord, I thank you for whether they are middle-aged or whether they are seniors, that, Lord, you are the restorer of the years. You are the redeemer of lost time. And Lord, we thank you this day that as we arise and step into the kingdom, which is timeless and eternal, when we step into those precepts, you can instantly turn around the clock and you can do in a few days what we never thought you could do in a lifetime. Lord, let that spirit arise now in your people. Lord, I declare change and transformation. Lord, I declare that the cross shall do its work, bringing us to the place of full completeness in, in a manifested way. We know you've declared it. Now, Lord, let it manifest in these mortal bodies in an amazing way. I thank you, Lord, that you're doing that. I thank you, Lord, that every person here can anticipate that, that, God, you are not a respecter of persons, that there are not people here that you love more than others, but that every single person that is here this morning, you love, you love awesomely and equally and and. and, and, and just Lord abundantly thank you Lord let that be embraced this morning I pray by your people and Lord help us not to think so small as to just grow a large church but Lord help our minds to move into the exceeding abundant thing that we begin to see a city rocked for Jesus we begin to see a county rocked for the Lord we begin to see a state a state changed changed Break our small thinking, Lord, and cause us to arise and see something far greater that you have for us. And Lord, we receive that today. Lord, you're causing men and women to arise in the places you have put them to be of incredible impact and influence. Lord, let it be, I pray. Let them be tenacious and resilient and diligent. Thank you, Lord. We embrace all of those things this morning as we go rejoicing and loving one another. We appreciate you, Lord. We honor you, sir, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, we love you. And as you're going out this morning, hug some necks and shake hands and look someone in the eye and tell them they're a presser through one. Tell them I'm going to press through. You're going to press through. We're going we're gonna to see some things that God has for us. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're released.